Hey, your dudes, and sew your name patch on your flannel shirt. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in. Hosted by fan club president Pete. And the uh, treasurer PJ? Yeah, I was letting you you say your own because we've had some arguments in the past about our roles in this in this now, I, I don't want to say defunct, but we're basically a fan club in name only because I don't. There's been nothing on our meeting agendas for like the last three weeks. This is true. It's really it's gotten kind of sad. Membership, look, membership is dwindling. People are aging out. Twenty six year olds it turns out have no interest once they turn twenty seven anymore. This new generation, man, they don't want to work. They don't want to join the twenty seven club fan club. That's it's sad. True. It's a sad state of affairs. And they're all bisexuals. Oh my god. I mean, that's great. I love that part. But you we need more of them in our club. Yeah. All right. You're right. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you're not on board. We we still got uh, Post Malone. He's yeah. Still might be a member at some point. That's true. Well, I mean, he can be a member of the Twenty Seven Club fan club. It's true. The fan club he could be a part of. The fan club. Look. Wait, but I guess I did just say that only 27-year-olds could be part of the fan club. We haven't figured that out yet. I guess I'll be honest. Our bylaws, yeah, it's about, it's a tome. It is like, if you think of an encyclopedia set, it's like that, except nothing is are stapled you, together. Are you, it's just a lot of loose pieces of paper. By encyclopedia set, do you mean a series <laughs> of Encyclopedia Brown books? I mean, if you go on Wikipedia and just start like clicking through all the links, ah, like okay. that many pages, you know. Right. Yeah. The modern encyclopedia. Um, also, you know what's funny? A funny idea is how many podcasts just use, <laughs> not ours, uh, just use Wikipedia as a reference and how funny it would be if they did podcasts pre-Wikipedia and you were just using an encyclopedia the whole time. <laughs> so the encyclopedia... <laughs> You're frozen, Pete. What? I am? No. On your end You're... still? You're good now. Ah, oh, damn it. My end was great. Good. Well, looked, I mean, everything looked we'll good to me. Later. Yeah. Well, it's awkward yeah. now because you're not laughing at my hilarious joke. Here, wait. Let's get a clean one. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, I've been. Oh, I thought I was supposed to start again. <laughs> no, I just meant a clean laugh. Well, tape. now we have to leave all this in. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying how funny it would be if podcasts existed before Wikipedia, and you had to use the encyclopedia set as your source for everything. <laughs> now, who is great. Keith Richards? Yeah. Not in so this the, one. The, the 1954 encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was noticing recently. Oh, who was I reading? In oh, I was reading a Wikipedia article about um, Todd, the guy who made the Hangover, Todd Phillips, um, because he apparently. Why? Uh, so this is what I'm getting. Okay. At. Okay. Apparently, he started out as a documentary maker. Sure, and he wanted to make a documentary about how bad his hangover was one time. Exactly. Yeah. But he, he made a very famous uh, documentary about Gigi Allen, and I did not okay. know that that was him who had made that documentary. I was like, this can't be the same Todd Phillips, can it? I looked yeah. it up, and it was the first film he ever made. But in reading that article, every Wikipedia article seems like it's written by either the person who it's about or their biggest fan. Because yeah. one of the things that it said was like, also the Hangover when it came out was the uh, number one movie, uh, number one highest grossing R-rated movie for that year. 
<laughs> and I was like, that's not something you keep track it's of. It's not that impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's so many uh, clarifications needed on that. Or, yeah. You know, it's yeah. very specific. Um, that's awesome. And I was like, why think, why even put that in there? I don't think anybody needs to know that. Now, did the person, and I think we know from this podcast whether or not necessarily it's their biggest fan, there's definitely one voice on a lot of bands wikipedia pages yeah. or like and on all their album pages and stuff like there is one person who is at least contributing heavily to a lot of bands wikipedia uh presence yeah and what i'm curious about is whether anyone said that ringo star uh showed up in the hangover or not as a little as a fun little prank to try and get us on our podcast again i don't know mm. oh you don't run let's into that. look okay ringo star hangover how funny would that be? I mean, I guess honestly, oh. that's not that far off of Mike Tyson being in it, right? Is that the Hangover, I, or is know, that Pineapple Express? No, that's the Hangover. I okay. always thought that it was Zach Galifianakis in that movies. It turns out it's actually Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr with the beard, yeah. Yeah. And then wow. Zach just took fucking credit for it. The asshole. Yeah. That Greek <laughs> that guy. He said he was supposed to be really nice, but apparently he's a real jerk. Just took credit for Ringo Starr's starring role in the Hangover films. Yeah, that's a real bummer. Huh. Well, it was only Ringo in the first one, and then he wasn't going to come back for a second one, so they got Zach Galifianakis for those ones. So, But right. Zach, he never corrects anyone if they assume he was in the first one. Well, why would you, you know? Yeah. And Ringo also, as a fun bit later on, he guest hosted the Barack Obama episode of Ferns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, just uh, one step away from the Bruce Springsteen Obama podcast. What? Did I freeze again? No. What is the what Bruce the shit Springsteen now? Obama oh, yeah. podcast? There was, I think it was like a limited run thing where Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama did a podcast together. I don't know what it's about. I don't know why they did it. I don't know how those two became friends or decided to do a fucking podcast together, but. Well, they're both Jersey guys, I think. It exists. I'm pretty sure. I pretty thought sure Obama they're... famously was from Chicago. No, not that I've heard. Oh, okay. Pretty sure it's oh, New okay. Jersey. He's sure. always calling people used guys. So That was your problem with his birth certificate. It wasn't exactly. whether it existed or not or whether it showed that he lived in yeah. America or was born in America I mean, or not. It's that you were positive he was a Jersey guy. I mean, we. I don't care if the man's an American. I know he's an American. Yeah. But well, is he he's from an American. New Jersey? He's an American at heart, at the very least. That's Who else true. would use drones to kill people? Exactly. An That's a very but American a true thing. patriot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spare others from Chris Kyle's fate by just using drones to snipe. That's kind of a callback <laughs> to whenever we talked about Chris Kyle. Um, I, I don't ever remember talking this about run, Chris Kyle. The 27 Club has gotten you brought up. We talked about American Sniper for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, now I recall. Yeah. yeah. This podcast run has gotten weird. I mean, we've dabbled in like <laughs> some weird off-topic running bits before, but for this one, <laughs> okay, just for the listener, PJ just popped a bottle of champagne, and I will be following up on that in a moment, but... Our recurring bits on the 27 Club of January 6th, the My Pillow Guy, and now Chris Kyle are truly odd. I guess we did have 9-11 as a recurring one. That's on true. Either the Beach Boys Boys or the Stones, I forget. Well, but. if you're a real American, you should uh, remember 9-11 every day and mourn for the losses. That's right. Of those planes. <laughs> <laughs> those beautiful planes that they got taken out of the sky. I think that was actually one of the things we spent a while talking about is no one ever, no one's ever sad about the planes. 
Those were good plans, guys. They were beautiful. Yeah. Those great those nice pieces of machinery. Oh God. A testament to how stupid we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically. For real. There's a reason that I don't think we want anyone. Any employer we have to uh, listen to this, yeah. Exactly. You know, it's you know you can say it's humor, but if you're being grilled by your boss about how this is humor, then it's a whole different conversation. It's hard to explain at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one and, of those. And now, yeah. what's funny about this? Who's that joke for? <laughs> Break it down. <laughs> uh, look, here's the deal. We lived through it. We remember it, so we can joke about it. All those Gen Z kids can't joke about it. They're not allowed. They don't even to. know what 9/11 is. They still think like, it's the times that 7-Eleven is open to now that now that COVID hit everyone's work hours. Right. It's like we're not allowed to joke about um, John Hinckley Jr. shooting President Reagan. I would never make no. a joke about that. I didn't even know what it is. I wasn't born yet. Exactly. Yeah. So those fucking Gen Zers who are getting in mm-hmm. their encyclopedia, going yeah. to 9-Eleven... Exactly. Researching it and then making to then, then make jokes about it. Yeah, yeah. then going it's to no the, the J Encyclopedia, looking up joke to learn what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's disrespectful is what it is. It is disrespectful. Yeah. I will say, um, I do follow John Hinckley Jr. on Twitter. And of course. um my favorite thing is whenever he posts anybody <laughs> or anything, there's always one guy who's like, The only mistake you ever made was not taking <laughs> uh, aiming lessons. <laughs> Which is not my you know, joke. Yeah, not to get not to get hyper political on here, but <laughs> is he wrong? No. I mean, look, let's be let's be real. Of all the presidents who have had assassination attempts against them, two of the ones you would least want to have died were the ones that actually died. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Garfield like, and, and McKinley. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So McKinley, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. He did not die, right? No, they, but, uh, those are the four that were assassinated in office and died. It is Lincoln, oh, shit. Kennedy, uh, McKinley, and Garfield. I thought whatever the Garfield was the 18, the one from the 1890s or whatever. Okay, all right, all right, all right. We're looking this up now. I know I'm assassinations right. in the encyclopedia. I, yeah, for some reason I thought the anarchist guy um, did not die. Or the guy who was shot by an anarchist did not die all four of those guys died okay we don't need a set well no assassins the musical you know what this is gonna get us here (laughs) assassins the musical (laughs) all right it's a stephen sondheim musical uh using the framing device of an r.i.p yet sinister carnival game the semi-review portrays a group of historical figures who attempted successfully or not to assassinate presidents of the united states so who are these people uh does it say Okay, cast list. Okay, John Wilkes Booth. Okay. He successfully killed Abraham Lincoln. That was our first assassination. Assassination. Charles Guiteau. I think this is the guy I'm thinking of. He was the anarchist. Maybe? Uh, he uh, assassinated no. James McKinley. Garfield. McKinley was a he was the anarchist. anarchist. Okay, nice. Leon Kosciuszko. Yeah, you're right. Garfield died two months later from infections related to the wounds. And when did and then, Garfield yeah, Leon, die, bitch? However you say that name. It's very Eastern European. Um. Yeah, once again, died after the wound became infected. Cool. We had a good, we had really great <laughs> medical science for a long time. Giuseppe Zangara tried to assassinate Franklin Roosevelt. Interesting. I had no idea that he 
Actually, I did not know that he had an assassination attempt. Well, some of these are like the real bullshit ones where gun just kind of goes off. Um, yeah. Well, like Donald Trump, you know, like when there was that gun that just got fired in the air at a Trump rally, that's mm. on here. So You mean at every Trump rally? Yeah. <laughs> there was guns fired in the air. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. So Squeaky Fromm, Gerald Ford. Right. Samuel course. Bick wanted to crash a plane into the White House to kill Nixon. Sarah Jane Moore also attempted to assassinate Ford. Boy, a lot of people are mad at Gerald Ford. <laughs> what for? You know? Yeah. So, and then John Hinckley Jr. Okay. So, really, Reagan's the only one, I guess, with a like serious assassination attempt because he got hit, right? He got well, h- him and him and uh, Theodore Roosevelt were both ones that oh, like yeah. actually got shot and then right. survived, and we're okay. All right. Are you impressed? Well, that I know. I that guess I take it back. With it Ronald, head? I really am. I was so impressed that I thought you were not correct. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's no way anyone can just know that off the top of their heads. And that was something before you were born. See, that's the thing. Our generation, the we're the only generation that learns things about before we were born. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Baby this boomers generation, only they care even, about. They didn't even care about stuff before TikTok was no. invented. God. Come on. Uh, so, PJ, why are you drinking champagne? <laughs> so, uh, a good question, Peter. <laughs> I think it's an excellent question. Um, well, so, uh, me and my uh, brother... Melanie yes. mm-hmm. uh, just moved into a new house. He's single. He's single. Exactly. Oh. My single brother. I just looked behind me like an idiot, but I just noticed that behind you, it was definitely a different background and I didn't put it together. Yeah. And then um, I thought, I should look behind myself. Yeah. Well, it looks kind of different. There's like a plant. Is there my I've background the same as PJ's? What's going on? <laughs> How did this happen? Um, but we moved into a new house and we got champagne the night that we uh, that we moved in. However, she doesn't really like champagne, so she poured um, about a finger's worth into a glass, and then the rest was juice, and then Mm. I was about to go to bed, so um, I drank like half a glass, and then I saw the champagne in the fridge, and it was tempting because uh, it's going to go bad soon, and also the only beer I have in the fridge is Corona, and I did not have any limes, so my options were limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. So, so I went with the champagne. Uh, well, this is a little bit of an early... Uh, oh, we forgot to... What is our Roadhouse brew? But um, I'm not even drinking anything at the moment, so... We can Peter, drop it in. I'll give you a second. Go grab something to drink. Okay, okay, okay. I wish, for the sake of a bit, for the bit, I had a Miller High Life, uh, but I just have Miller Light right now, so Miller Light. Did did Shelby ask if we were done recording? Did I hear her ask that? No, she asked if I was on a break, but yeah, that would have been funny. (laughs) All right. Those are our Roadhouse Breeze. What brand champagne is my next question? Uh, I am drinking a Corbell. <gasps> it's Corbell. Pie. Hell yeah, Corbell is the best. That's from uh, Sonoma County, right above San Francisco. Yes, it's a California champagne. Yeah, that is my wife and I's favorite, like regular Mid-tier. champagne. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Because in, especially in San Francisco, you could get that. It was always at like Trader Joe's for like eight dollars a bottle, and it's really, See, it's really good champagne for that price for sure. And and that's my thing about this champagne is you can go with Cooks, which you get a giant one of for oh, about Cooks is four dollars. Yeah. And it's bad, but it's fine yeah. if you're making mimosas, you know? Yes. Like, however, Corbell is like $10, which is a, yeah. an acceptable price to pay for champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, any more than that, I'm probably not going to buy it. And then it's also yeah. really, really good. It is. It's excellent. Yeah, when we... Um, boy, I forget what we got champagne for. Maybe it was when I proposed to her. I forget. We At some point within the last couple of years, we got like three bottles of champagne for something for something it might have been that or it might have been tuesday night yeah it might have been tuesday night but we got like a couple bottles of regular stuff which were corbell and then i splurged and got like a 40 dollar bottle just because it was it must have been when i asked her to marry me so um so i got like a really nice bottle and the really nice bottle was good but the corbell was basically as good and it was like yeah for yeah. that price we're just gonna get that all the time it's that's so kind of my thing with corbell is no it's better than most of the pricier champagnes I've had. It's very, yeah, it's very good stuff. Um, so. Anyway, Corbell, if you're listening, you, if you want to sponsor this podcast, I will drink yeah, champagne for, every episode. Yeah, Corbell's fantastic. Yeah, right, the Corbell Corner with yeah. two Ks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. um, well, that's a pretty good Roadhouse brew. Oh, no. That was me. No. On my end, I accidentally listeners. So listeners will want to know this. I I know. Uh, I am at my wife's desk right now, and she has a setup of two monitors that I can plug my laptop into. So I have three screens in front of me, and I accidentally just hit something that made every single thing minimize. Ah. <laughs> and I did not know how I did it, and it took me. I find I figured it out, but it took me way too long to get them all back up. <laughs> Now, Pete, I'm assuming um, for those three monitors, she's got business on her laptop. She's mm-hmm. playing The Sims on one of them, and then yes. on the other one, pornography. Porn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sims porn. Yeah. And then Sims, and then yeah. yeah. You know, the best thing about Sims porn is you can find it on YouTube because they don't got no nipples, so it's okay to show on there. She, she has The Sims. <laughs> so what she does, she has Sims porn on one, and then in the other one, she has The Sims like in their house, and she's trying to get them aroused by yeah, like watching she... Sims porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it works sometimes, but you know, she, they have, they've had a baby boom. So in her town, in her sim town, I don't know how the Sims works. I've never played it. Uh, you know what you said was good enough. Okay. Everyone, everyone understands. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, PJ. Uh, oh, so I did want to say, by the way, this is apropos of nothing. We're moving on from roadhouse brews and my, my fuck up with the monitors. Um, I just thought it was really funny. Uh, people will obviously by now have heard our Chris Bell uh, Big Star episode. Yes. And I just thought it was really funny how much uh, Chris Bell got beat down on that show. And then for whatever reason, the the song we went out on ended up being one of the Alex Chilton ones. <laughs> we didn't even do a Chris Bell one, which is fantastic. Ooh. Poor little guy. We should have. We almost should have done that with Pete Ham too, now that I'm thinking like just... <laughs> You got you got so screwed over during your life. Why not continue that? Somehow play a song that their manager wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one that they yeah they hated that the other guy wrote and was a bigger hit or something. Yeah. yeah. So we will not do that with Nirvana. Never. We would never 
dare we will not be playing a foo fighters song at the end of it we will never play a foo fighters song over it r.i.p taylor hawkins yeah i've said it once i'll say it again don't be a blonde friend with dave grohl never never um yeah well pj is it time to get to get into nirvana it might be time to get into Nirvana. It might be time to get into Nirvana. So we're, okay, so this. Which is what everybody said in 1993. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it, should we actually care about this band? I don't know. Uh, we are, we're, this is like a quantum leap ahead. It's crazy. We have never yeah. done a show where we haven't gone through the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And, Which... uh. I don't think you and I could yeah. be more ecstatic that we get a skip. Yeah, we're skipping a... from 1978 to 1989, uh, just wholesale. And if only yeah. we could have done that for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, or the Beach Boys. <laughs> or the Be- no, no, the Beach Boys. Come on, comeback album has four great songs on it. Kokomo. So yes, Kokomo. Kokomo revisited. Yeah, Kokomo remix with the oh god, whatever that John Stamos was. Oh, no. LL Cool J. No, what was I forget? Busta they Rhymes. Did, they did that one song anyway. Um, so yeah, we're we skipped the eighties. What's crazier? So like, there's no significant additions to the Twenty Seven Club during the eighties. I look, guys. I think we talked about it on the Big Star episode. I went back and double checked that Wikipedia page. There is nobody we're missing. It's like Chris Bell is like absolutely bottom of the barrel. You've maybe heard of him. Yeah. And then besides that, it's really no one you've ever heard. Of. That that one guy from the Minutemen we keep talking about is by far the most famous name on the list after Chris Bell. And I barely know the Minutemen exist. So um Slim Pickens. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, not a member of the 27 Club. Oh, damn. No. Okay. Yeah. I always assumed so um, we pass all of the 80s with no significant additions. And we're like to the point we talked last time about how Chris Bell was born like of the next generation after all the previous members kind of. We're now to the point where Kurt Cobain was born in 1967 when we have our early members of the 27 Club dying. Yeah. He is born, which is Ooh, craziness. spooky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He was conceived on the night Brian Jones died. Oh, <laughs> I bet he was there. Coincidence? I think. No, I don't think so. And while Peter looked that stuff up on Wikipedia, I went into my encyclopedia set mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, tried to find it. They are from 1946. Um, it had okay. nothing. It, it explained the concept of the number 27 to me, but that was yeah. it. Yeah. And I looked it up in my encyclopedia Brown book. Encyclopedia Brown investigates the rock star who shot himself. Yeah. And uh, that one's got a lot of good stuff about Nirvana, too. Oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. It's good to Usually know. the toast titles aren't that on the nose, but this one they just... They that one was, yeah, yeah very straightforward. It. We wanted people to know what we were talking about. So, PJ, before we get started here, it's been a while since we've had to do this because we've been going through <laughs> such such lesser-known bands. Uh, but we're finally back to a, a big hitter, a famous band uh, of all time. What? Where are you coming from with Nirvana, PJ? What is your history with Nirvana? I'm going to say this... And, but I want everybody to know the next three Nirvana episodes we're doing, we have huge Nirvana fans on. Mm-hmm. So if if I at all sound ignorant or uh, you know uneducated on the subject, just know that it will better itself. Yeah, probably. we're bringing some experts on. Um, I have never gotten the hype. 
I yeah. like I like some grunge music. I like Pearl Jam. I don't care what people say. Sure. I think I think Pearl Jam's great. Mostly the name you like. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's PJ it's, and that's it's my so name. evocative. Oh yeah. yeah, that too. Um but I just never got the hype. I have yeah. always been in awe that Kurt Cobain makes it like um on the top of guitarist lists. Like he's like number mm-hmm. four or something on Rolling Stone magazine's uh top guitarist of all time. Which yeah. is insane to me. Um, I think that annoyed me from a very early age because he beat out George Harrison. And I was like, wow, mm. George Harrison is a much better guitarist than Kirk Cobain. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've just never really gotten into it. Um, yeah. Obviously, I've heard Smells Like Teen Spirit and like Come As You Are. All their hits. Uh, never been wild about them. I like what Dave Grohl went on to do for about 10 years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I love yeah. what Chris Novoselic is doing up in uh, Washington, being a senator or mayor or something. I don't really know. Oh, is he? Good for him. He was at some point. I don't know if that's still the case. Interesting. Well, yeah, I I would – I'm coming from a similar place. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. They were, like, definitely really big in high school. Like, you know, by the time we were in high school, they were absolutely one of those, like, classic rock bands that you're just supposed to listen to when you kind of start listening to, like, good yeah. old music. And they also, I think, fit the bill for a lot of people in terms of being, like, a nice, angry teenage band, you know, to listen yeah. to where you get some, like, headbanging in but without having to listen to, like, scary metal music. Yeah. Um, well, and by the time we were in high school, I must say, they were also kind of like the Rolling Stones in that a lot of people would wear t-shirts but have never listened to Nirvana or like maybe know yeah. a song, you know. They became a t-shirt company basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I tried to listen to them. I don't know. I never liked uh Smells Like Teen Spirit, which like obviously I assume most Nirvana fans would be like, oh, but that's not even their best song. But it was the one I heard all the time, of course, right. and never liked it very much. And then for whatever reason, thought that I should get into them. So I only, but I've only ever heard In Utero all the way through. I don't know why that was the album I went for, hmm. but I got that. I think maybe just because Smells Like Teen Spirit was on Nevermind. And so I thought, well, I'll go for you know, Some a different later. album. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have a lot of choices. So I went for In Utero and liked it fine, but like never enough to seriously check out more of their stuff or even listen to In Utero all that much. So mm-hmm. I've just never been that into it. I don't know. They occupy a weird place for me. Like I like harder music. I mean, from this show, I feel like I think people might assume that we just don't like them because they're not like classic rock E or more, I don't know, poppy or right. folky or whatever we're kind of usually more into. I like a lot of hard rock. I I was really into the Foo Fighters actually in high school. Yeah. Uh, but like did not dig Nirvana and it's a very similar style of kind of, you know, right. and that's straight up rock with a harder, harder kind of edge. Yeah. Because I mean, like I said, I like other grunge. I like the yeah. Foo Fighters. You know, there's... I, I like love Andrew WK, which is some pretty hard rock, but it's, yeah, it's, I guess that's a good thing to kind of front load that we don't like them because they're like, 
we don't not like them because they're not like these charming British men from the 60s <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah, or even, yeah, the style of music. I think, here's the thing that I think it would land on. Because like, and I like music a lot harder than, you know, Nirvana. I think it, it comes down to not, I don't like Kurt Cobain's voice very much. And like, it just always, or it just never clicked for me for whatever reason. Right. And I and, don't, it's not his voice that bugs me. It's his guitar playing that really bugs me. I just don't think it's very yeah. good. But Yeah, just for whatever, I feel like they were a little bit just too, from what I remember, a little bit too, like, in between. Like, they weren't hard enough that they were, like, I don't know, interesting in that way. They weren't right. poppy enough that I was like, oh, this is catchy, even though it's, like, hard rock the guitar playing wasn't great enough that like it made it interesting or whatever, you know, the yeah. songwriting wasn't. And then I just didn't love. Yeah. Just none of it. I loved. So, right. But all that being said, coming into this, I am very open to having my mind changed for sure. Like I would, yeah, I would I, love to give Nirvana their due. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I know bleach is very different than their other albums for right. sure. And so, that's, but I, I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> that is also something I think is good to front load is that I like much like with the beach boys, the beach boys, I came out with an open mind, I think, because now I yeah. like the beach boys. Well, like some of their stuff. I don't like, you know, the bad stuff they did, but I'm, I'm coming to this open minded, ready to be into Nirvana. Yeah. And like you said, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, the fact that I'm being open minded, I think that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll, I think we'll get there. Um, unlike you, I have never actually liked grunge. I like, I yep. haven't gotten seriously into it, but from a combination of radio hits and then I did get a couple Pearl Jam albums at, at a similar time as Nirvana. Like, oh yeah, I should like this band because they're one of the most famous bands of all time. And I just, I don't like grunge in a general sense or at least what I've heard. So, although I know Nirvana are like the least grunge of all the grunge bands. so That's we'll true. We'll see what happens. You don't like Pearl Jam? No, I hate Eddie Vedder's voice like a, a lot, a lot. Oh, I love it's it. It's one of my least oh, favorite it? singing voices of all time. Huh. On a window, on a uh, so I'm not finding Kurt Cobain is not on the at least most recent version of Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Guitarist list. He is on the 100 Greatest Singer list, I think, though. He he was for a Let long time it. on. Yeah. He was top 10. Okay. Um, Maybe it was. But I did Rolling find in the Rolling Stone archives. This is good because we will not have a Rolling Stone review today. Um on the Rolling Stone archives, they had a 1999 cover story about guitar gods talk about their favorite guitar players and Kurt Cobain. And again, this is 1999, so I do think there's a tad bit of recency bias here. But we have some interesting... So Melissa Etheridge, of all people... Oh. <laughs> ...names Keith Richards, Joan Mitchell, Joan Baez, Kurt Cobain, and Bruce Springsteen as the people who influenced her the most. Um, Interesting. And then the other time he comes up on this list is Wyclef Johns. Oh, <laughs> cool. Yeah. So How many says, times did he are... come on Wyclef Johns? One time? Yeah. His are Jimi Hendrix and Carlos Santana, but he says 
Um, I think everyone is scared to play today. What happened to the 15-minute guitar solo? People used to live for it, man. I don't know where those days are. The last cat that gave me a vibe was Kurt Cobain. He was ill with the power chords. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which, from beginning of that sentence to the end, he's not even on the same topic, but uh, I love... I love that. Um, so, all right. So that's a little bit of our history with Nirvana. Uh, I was talking with PJ before. So I've heard In Utero front to back. I do not remember anything about it, like any of the songs specifically. I've never heard Bleach. I've never heard Unplugged. I have heard all of their like radio hits, though, which we were talking about the track listing for Nevermind. That's going to comprise a lot of Nevermind. So, uh, I, but I, I have, have not, never I have heard... not seriously listened to Nirvana ever. I don't think like nor have tried I. to get into them. Yeah, I've yeah I've heard them like when my friends have been like I love Nirvana and they put it on the car or something. But right. um, I not only have I never heard Bleach all the way through. I don't think I've ever heard a song off of Bleach before I listened to it. Yeah, same. Although I was only aware of Bleach because I think it's become a thing, or at least was for a while. It was a bit of a hipster opinion that like, oh, Bleach is actually the best one. Um, or at the, at the very least, Bleach is like way underrated because I think for a long time it was supposed to be an album you didn't need to hear even if you like Nirvana because it's very different. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I was aware of Bleach in that way. But uh, yeah, we'll get into our thoughts of it soon. So... Like I said, we pass all of the 80s with no significant additions to the 27 Club. And let's go ahead and assume Pigpen, Pete Ham, and Chris Bell are not part of the 27 Club to the world at large. So we're really at almost 20 years with no significant additions to the 27 right. Club since 72, right? I think is when Jim Morrison died. Um, or 71. So by now, by the late 80s, it is enshrined as this like classic rock lore that you learn, I assume, along with the Led Zeppelin shark story and that Beatles songs are the devil songs backwards and you know, all that kind of crap that you learn in your cool brother or yeah, your cool brother's friend's basement mm -hmm. after school one day. Um, so it is, we, we are past the point of the 27 club being this contemporary thing that is being written in history. It is now just an, an historical thing is what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. Ah, going with the proper and historical. Thank you, Peach. I'm so glad you picked up on that. Oh, I did. Um, so, like I said, Kirk was born in 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington, uh, which Dude. is... That's close yeah. to where Macklemore is from. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, it's a small town on the Washington coast, about two hours southwest of Seattle. I have driven through Aberdeen. It is an ugly, ugly, sad town. <laughs> like it's called not Aberdeen. Of course it is. I mean, I know it too because here's a terrible band that I loved in high school. Cage the Elephant had a song called Aberdeen, uh, which no, now that Pete, I are they terrible? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty terrible. I, now that I, like I know uh, that Kurt Cobain was born there, I'm sure that's what it was about. But um, yeah, Aberdeen is it's just like one of those really sad kind of like former industrial towns that now is just nothing a little bit, you know? Yeah. Ah. Um, much like Tacoma or many <laughs> towns in Washington, many towns. Yeah. Yeah. The Washington coast as a whole has a little bit of that vibe. Cause it's not like, you know, once you get down to Oregon and California, it's very touristy on the coast and very like vacation home. Up hotel E. Yeah. 
and the Washington coast just like a couple towns did, but most of the coast did not have that vibe weirdly. So anyway, it's probably just too cold. It's really cold. Up it's there over there in the cold coast, beach. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cold beach. Uh, so once again, thank God, Wikipedia. We've been talking about you a lot today, but we can thank Wikipedia of Wikipedia author for telling Kirk's specific European heritage, country by country, oh, yes. and also what what his ancestors did. They were shoemakers, apparently. Ah, yes, so. Cobain is a translation mm-hmm. for yeah. cobbler. So probably really great to know that. I just I really love knowing where white people are from. Me um, too several of Kirk's so when he was growing up several of his extended family members were professional musicians um and he got oh, into so music an, very he's a young. nepotism musician as well exactly yeah, yeah yeah uh he got into music very young and also got really into drawing was he he showed like artistic aptitude in a lot of areas but really enjoyed drawing and drew I mean, I guess I don't know how much he did it once he was in Nirvana, but like through high school would do a lot of sketching and, and stuff. So um, so he started singing and playing piano first as a little kid and really got into the Ramones, ELO, Arlo Guthrie, the Beatles, the Monkees. What a grouping of artists. It's funny that they threw the Monkees on that list. I, apparently that was one of the first songs he learned on the piano was the Monkees theme song, so... Just huh. fantastic. And just a great, like, of course, in the 70s, your kid likes music, you're going to teach him the theme song from the monkeys. <laughs> uh, so, when, so, pretty, like, nice, idyllic childhood to some degree, or at least that's how he remembers it. But when he was nine years old, his parents divorced. Uh, so he became, after the divorce, he became very moody and withdrawn and, like, kind of started down this different different path as a kid uh so in his family he was one of two kids uh but when his dad remarried the other woman had i think two more kids and then they had another kid together so he was part of this you know larger family with a lot of step siblings um which Which really bothered him exactly uh which really bothered him and then his mom remarried as well this abusive guy who was a terrible person his whole childhood at one point, like broke his mom's arm and yeah. Um, just really bad situation. Well, was she being well. mouthy or what? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so a really bad situation there. And Kirk was like, just really felt kind of abandoned. Cause yeah, he was in this like small kind of tight loving ish family, or at least again, that's how he's remembering it. Uh, but then yeah, it's just like one of either four kids in this one family uh or you know yeah in a terrible spot in the other so he was really struggling and lashing out he was bullying people at school was getting bullied at school got into fights wait he was bullying Um, and getting bullied i know he did both yeah get yourself a guy who can do both (laughs) yeah it's Um, rare man yeah so uh yeah, so eventually a ther- eventually his like dad took him to a child therapist and who recommended that he only live in one house. So his mom gave his dad full custody. But Kurt got even more rebellious. So part of him getting bullied, he apparently told people at school that he was gay so that they would leave him alone because that was like the best way he figured out to just have people ignore him. Um interesting yeah and he would also he would do a lot of graffiti vandalism he would spray paint the phrase god is gay around town a lot 
Uh, and then also at one point got arrested for graffitiing the phrase, ain't got no how whatchamacallit on cars. <laughs> Which is a really means. long thing to phrase or to spray paint. That's probably you know, that's why I got caught that time. Yeah, right. Uh, so let's see. He also was he did like the wrestling team and played baseball, and he would intentionally get pinned or strike out to avoid having to participate and to purposefully make his dad mad. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Yeah. So eventually, his dad, after all this kind of stuff, pawned him off to a different family member because he just couldn't handle rebellious Kirk. Um, so he lived with his other family member for a while who was very Christian. So he like went to church and kind of got religious, but abandoned that after a few years. So he just, he kind of had a very uneven and like, uh, yeah, not, not super, I guess he would say healthy, although it's probably very normal for a lot of people, but, um, not a super consistent childhood at the very least and really struggled, obviously. So when he was 14, when? his uncle uh, gave him the choice of a gift he either was going to get him a bicycle or a guitar and he chose a guitar um so this is when he started playing guitar what kind of bike does it say what kind of bike (laughs) no yeah it did say bicycle or used guitar which Hmm. it must have been a pretty nice guitar to be the same price as a brand new bicycle that's true all right all right um yeah so in high school, though, there were some bright spots for him. He befriended a guy named Roger Osborne, uh, who started a band called the Melvins uh, in Aberdeen. Yes. Or I think we're in Aberdeen. He lives in like two or three different cities around the area. So I'm a little unclear on which high school, which town this high school's in. But regardless. Um, so he has this band called the Melvins. He introduces him to the punk and hardcore scene in the area and over in like Olympia and Tacoma. Um, about an hour away underneath Seattle. Uh, so Kirk got into bands at this point, like playing in bands. He played in one of, apparently there were a bunch of joke bands that formed like with members of the Melvins and all their friends. Uh, Kirk's band was called Fecal Matter. Ah. Yeah. Um, and in is it this spelled larger, funny or is it just spelled? No, it's the... spelled Fecal Matter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in this larger group of people, he meets a guy named Chris, uh, Novoselic. Oh. So, yeah, I think, yeah. Um, so, eventually he moved back in with his mom, uh, but dropped out of high school when he realized he wouldn't have enough credits to graduate. Good That's move. a good time to drop out. Yeah. His mom told him that he either had to get a job or leave, but he came home one day to find all of his stuff packed into boxes before, I guess, he got a job. So, he left <laughs> Um, yeah, that makes so sense. he, yeah, he slept with at friends' houses or would sneak back into his mom's basement to sleep a lot, but was essentially kind of homeless for a little bit there. Um, so he stayed in touch with Chris Christofferson, Novoselic, uh, and would bug him constantly about trying to start a band, but Chris didn't really want to unclear why I like to think that Kurt sucked, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I would guess so. Yeah, unclear why. But anyway, so, but he finally bugged him enough that Chris said, fine, 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 we'll start a band. And PJ, this is almost as good as the original iteration of the Grateful Dead being like a jug band or whatever. Um, Would you like to guess? So I will tell you they were a tribute band, their first band. Would you like to guess the artist that they were a tribute band of? I would tell you the name, but it doesn't help. Not Aerosmith. Let me hear the name. Okay, the sellouts. It 
unless I unless this is a very deep cut reference to this band, I don't know how it relates. It's not the monkeys, is it? N- no, no, that would be almost be amazing. As amazing. What is this? Uh, I'll give you another hint. Well, yeah, give I me another. Do you want more? Okay, okay. Yeah, they're yeah. a band we both love. Have not covered on the show. You know, formally. Um, but we but we have talked about from, them on the show. Yeah, I would say they come up a good amount. It's not. The they're Beatles. both one of our favorite bands. I would say. Is it the Beatles? No, but closer, like more Led around Zeppelin? that era. Again, cl- closer, more around that era. Think what's what's a genre of music you really can't imagine Kurt Cobain playing? <laughs> Anything good. Um, uh, okay. They're from San Francisco. I think, yeah. Well, I was going to say David Bowie, but he's not from San Francisco. Not David Bowie. I have no idea, Pete. I'm at a loss. Credence Clearwater Revival. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. The sellouts. Again, the sellouts. Yeah, I don't know if that's, is that? I don't think that's a reference. I don't know. I the only thing I could think of, and I didn't even Google it. I guess I could Google it now. But I'm like, was there like some? I had this faint thing of was there some John Fogerty quote about like them selling out or something? Probably. But wow, a CCR cover band. Huh? Yeah. So he and Chris Novoselic started a CCR cover band. Um, that's wild. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing comes up if I if I try and pull that up. So. I don't know. Um, so that band did not last super long. <laughs> by the that end, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So by the end of so this is around the mid '80s. By the end of 1986, when he was about 19, uh, he had moved to another coastal Washington town, not Aberdeen, but uh, and was working at the Polynesian Resort Hotel. Um, but he was traveling to Olympia a lot to play gigs and to watch other shows and was getting kind of ingratiated into the big punk DIY grunge scene Hell yeah. in Olympia, meeting, you know, yeah, a lot of the the original grunge people. Uh, you know, this is when Sub Neil Pop Young. was starting up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, when Sub Pop was starting up and all that, so... So he and Chris, though, kept the band going. They they kept playing together, but were focusing on writing original songs this time instead of covering <laughs> Credence. Um, they went through several drummers, uh, and Kirk gets his first girlfriend, Tracy Marinder, Marinder, oh. who knows, who lives in Olympia and who he dates for at least the rest of our episode. <laughs> Um, so eventually Kirk and Chris moved to the Olympia area, uh, during which, by the way, when they move, they lose contact with their current drummer. They just can't reach him for like a couple weeks. They don't know where he went. And so they have to get a new drummer, but, uh, but they finally choose their band name or settle on like their longest term band name Nirvana. Um, so around this time, Kirk is getting really into like reading about different religions and stuff. And he settles on Nirvana because he's really into Buddhism and also thinks it's a cool idea to have like a punk hard rock band name that's nice and beautiful instead of being like a, you know, mean or whatever phrase. The crust punk fucks. Yeah, exactly. So he likes he likes that contrast, which I've never actually I obviously know what 
the word Nirvana means, but I'd never actually thought about it that way. And it makes me like their name a little bit more. I don't love their name, but it makes me like it a little bit more because he's not wrong. It's fine. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Although Soundgarden as well is like one where you're like, oh, that's a nice sounding phrase. I but do, then but... like Pearl Jam is the epitome of just, ugh. It's a cum joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Soundgarden, so. do you like Soundgarden or no? The music? No. Okay. But I do like it as a band name. Soundgarden's another grunge band that I like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're hit, but Black Hole Sun, right? Isn't that them? Yeah. yeah. I saw uh, Chris Cornell. Uh, so I went to a Peter Frampton concert when I was younger. Okay. And uh, Peter Frampton apparently covers Black Hole Sun. And okay. at this particular concert, he said, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Cornell. And Chris Cornell came out and played uh, uh, Black Hole Sun with Peter Frampton. That is a weird pairing of voices. <laughs> it was very strange. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's like, um, oh, fuck. What was it when, oh, God damn it. Wasn't there a Rolling Stones album from like the 80s or 90s where they had some guy singing backup where it was like he had just such a crazy weird voice and you could totally pick it out? Boy, where am I pulling this from? Are are you thinking of maybe you're so vain and you can pick out Mick Jagger's voice? I know that, but I feel like there was a Rolling Stones song, yeah, in like the 80s or 90s where they have some not necessarily grunge but some singer with like that kind of voice who like helped write the song or something and sings back up on it and it's just wildly out of place in the background if you happen to remember that uh email us at beachboysboys at gmail.com like if we want to maybe during our break i'll go through my stones notes and see but anyway uh so yeah so they settle on nirvana in around 1987 uh so they and they record their first early demos in 1988 uh so at this time their their drummer is the drummer from the melvins uh, and he's playing along with them and plays on their demo. Uh, eventually, he decides to move to San Francisco, and they get another drummer who then ends up getting put in jail. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. And then the guy who went AWOL when they moved shows up again out of nowhere. <laughs> but he just shows up one day and is like, I moved. I made it. And they're like, it's been 10 months, man. What are you doing? And he's like, it, it, it has? <laughs> I didn't. I thought I moved like last week. What are you talking about? Yeah, we jammed like two days ago. What are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, but apparently he <laughs> he quits pretty soon because one day he shows up to practice and says he's too hungover to practice and just leaves. Cool. <laughs> and so he's out of Nirvana. That's I think a, that's what happened to Pete Best too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fucking cool move, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally they settle on this guy named Chad Channing who just jams for them or with them for a while and is never officially told he's part of the band, but stays with them through their whole first album and tour. So yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll get See, to it a little bit later too, but these guys are uh, not great communicators in the band. They don't, they don't really tell people what's going on. You know, I feel like for the most part, drummers stay pretty consistent in a band. Yeah. It's bassists that switch out a lot. So right. Exactly. Chris really. Yeah. Uh, locked in his position yeah it's pretty interesting it just makes me think like what were they doing to these drummers that they literally went through like five different drummers yeah actually you know now that i think about it that is the spinal tap joke that drummers just kind of come and go yeah true i feel like it happens more with bassists though but yeah what do i know so in november 1988 um 
they release, I think from from those demos, uh, they release their first single on Sub Pop Records. They get signed to a record company. Um, yeah. And we will hear this on the album. So, and it's the version, it's, I don't know if it's the exact version. It's the same demo. It might be mixed differently or whatever. Mm. Um, but they don't re-record this for their album. So we'll get to it when we get there, but it's a cover of the song Love Buzz by the band Shocking Blue. Um, Your favorite band. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just, I guess, in case people don't know what Sub Pop is, it seems maybe crazy, but I don't know. You and I both grew up in the larger Northwest, so maybe it is, I don't know, whatever. But they started in Olympia around this time and were the like grunge label obviously uh they signed nirvana soundgarden mud honey they're still around as just like a generic kind of they're like the biggest indie label basically right um yeah although i think now they're a part of warner brothers but uh, that would make sense yeah yeah they now interestingly uh for some contrast <laughs> sign bands like the shins Fleet, po- Fleet Foxes, the Postal Service, and ah. uh, our favorite reincarnated Lizard King, Father John Misty. So, so they, they were really like, stuck with what the sound. What could we do to get away from grunge? Yeah. Ah, the to exact opposite. The most boring, twee white guys we can get. Um. So, anyway, Sub Pop. Yeah, it's one of those annoying things where, like, there's like a Sub Pop store in the Seattle airport now with just a bunch of Sub Pop merch, and like, you can buy, you know, Never mind on vinyl, even though... Actually, you probably can't, because that didn't come out on Sub Pop. They changed labels, so... You can buy Bleach on vinyl. Yeah. There you go. Everybody's favorite Nirvana album. Yeah, exactly. You know what's funny? We we were going to get there later, but it kind of makes sense here, too. Bleach is still, by a mile, the biggest-selling Sub Pop album, which is a little bit crazy, because like I know it's the most famous band they've ever had on their label, but it's like that most famous band's agreed upon worst album yeah so why yeah it's a little crazy that another band in the huh. 30 years since then wouldn't have overtaken it so that is wild yeah it is i mean right. i bet re-releases are really helping those album sales yeah for sure well and i think once again this is something to get to on the nevermind episode but they re-release it right after nevermind becomes a hit so it probably it might have it might have won that race in that year you know like yeah. everyone probably bought that after they bought Nevermind, and then they just, it's on, it's been uncatchable since, so. Anyway, so, Nirvana uh, start rehearsals after this single comes out, because they get to release a whole album, so they're gonna head up to record the album in Seattle. Um, They bring those demo tapes along with that first single, and I think almost everything that ended up on, or that they demoed, ended up on the album. Um, so Kirk wrote almost all the lyrics for the new songs the night before they started recording. Yeah. And he said later that he was in a really bad mood, which kind of reflects on the album. It's a lot of downer, kind of angry songs. Um, and that makes which, sense because it sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I did actually kind of listen to the lyrics on this album, weirdly. I think listeners know I don't usually care a lot about the lyrics. Um. But I'm like, I don't, I kind of always think of Never, or Nirvana as being like kind of a dark, angry, angsty band. So I'm yeah. like surprised that this one supposedly sticks out for being, I guess, extra angry. But we'll see, I guess, when we get to their later albums. I mean, they so. do have a song called Rape Me. So 
Yeah, you know, they don't really stop with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, so they start recording on December 24th uh, and record through Christmas and New Year's, which is crazy, kind of. What the hell? Um, yeah, they finished the, the album on holiday. January 24th. I know, right? They finished the album by January 24th uh, and the recording studio bills them $606 for 30 hours of studio time, uh, which is just wildly cheap. For the time, for now, it's also just crazy in the context of what we talked about with, like, it's a little weird because these guys are definitely the most, or one of the, like, most well-known bands that we've talked about, but they are, aside from Chris, or from Big Star, really, they're the only band that straight up started out as, like, an independent, totally unknown band. Like, every other band, even if their debut wasn't huge, like the Rolling Stones or something, you know, like, it was big, but it wasn't massive or anything like they also, were still my... like a full-on pop band and were being marketed as that instead of yeah. you know being this underground kind of band so let me get my calculator out real quick sure. so they spent an hour in the album a d- or on the album a day no it was like they would record for like three days and then had three days off and then would come back and yeah and then like it was they only recorded for a few days in that month like we're in the studio recording. Yeah. I'm shocked it took them a month to record this album. So, yeah. Well, only 30 hours total. That's true. So, no, that one holds yeah. up more. Yeah, yeah. So around this time, they had started playing with this guy named Jason Everman, a guitar player, who had like kind of befriended them and really liked the band and wanted to be in the band. He does not appear, or he's not. He doesn't play on any of the album. But he does, he's in the studio with them. He's on the album cover. He's on the album credits. Doesn't play on any recordings. But he pays the bill for their studio time for whatever reason. (sighs) He's like their weird financier. Their sugar Um, daddy. You can say it. Exactly. He's their sugar daddy. (laughs) Uh, So, at this, for this album, Kirk said he felt pressure to write songs that fit into Sub Pop's kind of grudge oriented um sound and suppressed his kind of you know yeah he grew up really liking the beatles and elo and the monkeys and stuff uh he said he really like contemporaries he really really liked rem for example so he liked poppier music for sure but wanted to play that down for this album you know he didn't want sub pop to get all mad at him um so played down the poppier and like artier kind of influences on his music and they really lean toward the grunge sound, like a stripped down yeah. hard rock, angrier music like we're we're talking about. So uh the album cover, a cool black and white negative photo of them all headbanging. Um, that was taken by his girlfriend, Tracy, during a concert in Olympia. And that, like I said, has Jason Everman on it. He was playing with them. Maybe the most prominent thing on the album cover is Jason Everman. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly. Uh, it was originally going to be titled Too Many Humans, uh, which is a great band or album name, I think. Um, but it was changed to Bleach after they went on some trip to San Francisco and Kirk found an AIDS PSA poster uh, that advised bleaching needles, and so for whatever reason, just interesting. We should name this bleach in the nineties, huh? <laughs> yeah, weird, right? Um, yeah. So a little bit of just kind of background, or uh, a little bit of stuff after the album comes out. 
So like during this whole release cycle, they're very upset at Sub Pop's lack of promotion for the album. Um, like it does pretty well, but Kirk feels like they should get more for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, they do go on a tour that kind of starts before the album comes out and then goes through like the rest of the year. Uh, they tour Europe and the United States. Uh, they do pretty well in Europe as like a, um, well, I don't want to say like as a fad thing, but like people are very taken with like, oh, the grunge thing from the Americas. These boys are wearing flannel and ripped jeans. Oh my. Like they kind of, they get a lot of like press about, you know, their whole look and, and everything. Um, and then on their tour in the U.S., so they have Jason Everman playing with them on this tour. On their tour during the U.S., they decide they get fed up with him. Unclear whether they didn't like him as a person or his plane was bad or what. I, I didn't find details on that. But they get fed up with Jason and just quit the tour early and drive home without him, without telling him that he's fired. Damn. <laughs> I know. Uh, later, he said that he quit. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the whole Jason Everman story, though? Uh, no, I, I know as much as oh. I told you. So he was give in Nirvana. Those, give me those right? deets. Yeah. After he leaves Nirvana, okay. he goes and plays bass in Soundgarden. Oh, shit. Wow. All right. And then he gets fired from Soundgarden. <laughs> okay. And then he says, fuck it, I'm joining the army. And he becomes like a really high-ranking member of, like a Green Beret or something. Jesus. Yeah. For yeah. like the rest of his life. How? Well, I mean, he's still alive, Weird. but for like a long time, he was like a green yeah. beret after that because he was like, fuck it. I can't make it in any of these. Yeah. And it was like both right before they got big, right. which is really yeah. funny. Damn. All right. Well, he's like Pete Best times two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get to the Rolling Stone review. Wait, there what? isn't one for this episode pardon or for this album yeah they're too they're too indie they're too underground at this point mm-hmm. still sub pop i mean grunge is like i yeah. guess ascending but rolling stone is also at a point in its history where they're very much not covering you know yeah that uh that kind of underground music i don't think anymore so you know and i was surprised to find that out when you said it a little bit ago uh that they didn't have a rolling stone review but <laughs> like like two sentences yeah like <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was going to be on record or not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we talked about it off air. <laughs> um, but I guess it was 1989, so that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, yeah, I feel like yeah, they're deep is into not just reviewing thing, Guns you know? and Roses or whatever at this yeah. point, or you know, the new Rat album. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and Bleach really didn't draw much mainstream attention. Like, it, you know, oh, well, it did well, not. I, I could have guessed that, Pete. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time we do, I did find a couple of contemporary reviews though. Uh, so, and the most kind of Rolling Stone adjacent, I would say is from the New Musical Express, a very famous uh, British publication that has been around much longer than Rolling Stone. And, uh, but we have never really talked about on this show, I don't think so. Well, let's uh, get into it. Yeah. Somebody's out of tune in that one. Uh, Man. You know what's crazy? Like, we've done a lot of 60s music pretty recently on this show, but somehow this era of Rolling Stones still just seems so out of date. Yes. Like, and same with the early Beach Boys. It seems like a whole different world, even though, like, you know, the Doors in 67, like, 
they were playing different music, but it's basically recorded the same and all, you know, like it's yeah. the same kind of instrumentation and everything. It just still seems like this is from a hundred years ago. It is weird. Cause like, yeah, stone stuff. You're right. Cause there's sometimes we'll listen to Pink Floyd and I'll be like, this could have been recorded like two weeks ago, you know? Yeah. Um, but this was, oh, yep. That's the late sixties from a British band. Yeah. Early so. 60s? I don't remember when December's joke uh, uh, Like 65. Yeah, mid-60s. All right. All right. Uh, so we have a review from the New Musical Express. It appeared in the July 8, 1989 issue, uh, just about a month after the album comes out. So, you know, across the pond. It took a while for that CD to get shipped across the pond. Uh, so yeah. that's okay. It was written by <laughs> the most British name we've heard in a while. Edwin Pouncey. <laughs> man, Edwin. If if I had, had a vest to, and a pocket uh, watch and if I had little, to rank uh, it, it would be Lord whoever helped. Uh, oh yeah, the Rolling, the Rolling Stones, Stones. Get their finances together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, Ed, uh, sorry, one more time, Edmund Ed, Pouncey. Edwin Edwin Ed, Pouncey. Edwin Pouncey, and then it would be Andrew Lug Oldham. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, um, oh, God damn it. Twiggy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I almost said Tweety. All right. So I'm maybe just going to read the whole thing because it's pretty short and it's good or at least interesting. So Edwin starts with real rock music should hurt. Like being too near an exploding mm. plate glass window, it should get under your skin and cause you to writhe with a mixture of pleasure and pain. If you find yourself nodding off to Guns N' Roses' occasional acoustic noodlings, then wake up to Nirvana. Scrap all that soft metal crap and get behind these brats. <laughs> yeah. These brats. Nirvana. Also, I love the term soft metal. That's very, very uh, descriptive of a lot of 80s bands. And also... Only something a Brit would come up with, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Aluminium, you mean a soft metal? Uh, Nirvana are shot in negative for their cover photo, but don't be fooled, for there is a totally positive attitude to what they do. Boo! Boo! <laughs> they walked into some guy's recording studio, stuck $600 life savings into the breast pocket of his bowling shirt, and said, let's make a record. Bleach is the result. This is the biggest, baddest sound that Sub Pop have so far managed to unearth. So primitive that they managed to make label mates hunt Mud Honey sound like Genesis. Nirvana turn up the volume and spit and claw their way to the top of the musical garbage heap. Interesting. <laughs> Included here is their brilliant single Love Buzz, shorn of its original Looney Tune opening but still magnificent. Equally glorious is Negative Creep, a leash strainer. Wow, yeah, I'm having trouble reading this. Equally glorious is Negative Creep, a leash strainer of a song that eventually gets loose and goes on the rampage like a rabid Rottweiler. Fab. <laughs> Bleach could be accused of being a record that is slightly top-heavy with too much filler. But given enough spins and even the silt rises to the top, Nirvana are undoubtedly at their best when they're playing short and punchy songs as opposed to drawn-out experiments. But what the hell, for a first LP, this sounds pretty damn good to me. And then... Ends with another pun. Play these Bleach Boys all summer long. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, which is kind of good. And they rate it eight out of ten. Interestingly, how do you throw? No, I wonder. We will see in real time when Rolling thing. Stone starts giving stars. But 
I'm sorry. I talked over you. I said, how do you throw tomatoes at written word? <laughs> I like Bleach Boys, mostly just because we have a Beach Boys podcast. Yeah, I mean, it really works for um, our purposes and our purposes yeah, yeah, alone. Yeah. But it's I love the shot negative. Well, yeah. mostly I love how much you hate it. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so that's our review from NME. We will see if we agree that it's a positive uh, good time. Uh, yeah, but let's... Uh, Take a quick break (laughs) and come back for the track by track. All right, let's do it. Welcome back to the 27 Club. We're going track by track through Bleach. Are you excited, PJ? Is excited the word I want to use? You look excited. I think he's excited. All right. So Bleach was released June 15th, 1989. It did not chart. (laughs) Wow, really? Yeah, we will we'll talk a little more about Bleach re-release and we talked we talked somewhat about like Sub Pop owning the album for forever and all that. But after Nevermind, Sub Pop re-releases it and it does chart then. Um that's so, a, you know, only a couple bold. years later, it it doesn't count obviously as it no. charting on release yeah. or whatever, but um so it does do well at some point, but on initial release uh does not do do very well um all tracks by the way except for that original single love buzz the cover all tracks are written by kirk music and lyrics so oh yeah all right so let's get it well actually first of all i wanted to look up because i accidentally spent most of the week i got caught by the spotify bug that usually gets pj i accidentally listened to a bunch of the bonus tracks bummer yeah and you know what i really didn't think much of it because it's a CD era album. So I was like, oh, it's just a little bit longer. Like, that's fine. I, right. I, yeah, I thought it was normal. So here's what happened. The original release, only 37 minutes long, 11 tracks. It is kind of an original, like the 1992 one after Nevermind added those two extra songs that brought it to 42 minutes, mm-hmm. which is the one I was listening to. So it's not like pure bonus tracks. Um you know, it was still within their career that they released those as like an official version of Bleach, an updated version, you would say. But today we're just going to go through the original eleven tracks. I will, I will spoil it for people. Those extra two tracks are not worth talking about. Oh yeah, I could have guessed that. I really could. I don't. I guess you know what? Write us at beachboysboys at gmail dot com if any of those, either of those songs are your favorites. They do have great titles: Big Cheese and Downer. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty good. Titles. All right, so let's get into it. Track one on Nirvana's debut album, Blue. B-L-E-W, guys. Come on, get your minds out of the gutter. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, so they kind of kick it, kick it hard right out of the gate. They sure do i really really love the guitar line in the verses this like the little like run to like the open chord riff that he's doing 
that's a really nice guitar riff. Well, so you'll hear that hear that much later in Nirvana's career on every mm-hmm. song. So. Oh, okay. Well, at yeah. this point, I'm impressed by it. I like it. It's a cool kind of like grogy take on like a Keith Richards riff. I feel like. Um. So here's one thing that immediately hit me is Kurt Cobain's voice is awful, right? It's really bad. Like, it's it's really hard to listen to. I don't even know if I think he's a bad singer. It's just a hard voice to listen to. Yeah. It sounds like he's actively... It sounds like he had them string up the microphone from the ceiling and put it, like, a foot above his head so he's playing... Like, on his tippy like, toes. Yeah. And, like, straining his entire neck to get to the, you know, like, it just sounds like it is it, so hard for him to sing. It does sound like he's hurting his throat while singing. Yeah. But, and on some other songs, this gets more clear. I think, I do like his voice at certain parts, and I got more used to it the more I listened to it, but the first couple listens to this album, I thought, oh, we have another Doors on our hands. I kind of like the music, but the voice I cannot handle. Uh... This song would be great, except then he does the bad, mushy guitar solo thing where he's just noodling yeah. without any... It's And it's weird, because he has really good guitar solos later on the album. But on this song, he didn't try at all. That's news to me, Pete. Oh, there's a really good one on uh, at least About a Girl. It's really <laughs> noodly, but like yeah. so heavily distorted, it's hard to call it noodly. Yeah, but it is like a 19-year-old with a guitar, which makes sense. Cause right. I kind of like this outro part. I think this song, the guitar solo is really hard, but otherwise, I think this is a, a very good first song. I'm excited for Nirvana at this point. I didn't love it. I will say it sounds better through these headphones than what I oh, was, yeah. you know, listening to it on before, but... Yeah, that's kind of true. I listened to this album, yeah, on a couple different pairs of headphones and in the car, and it it did sound, even though we're listening to like the most recent remastered version, it sounded pretty different on all of them. So, so here we go. This is Floyd the Barber. This is one of three songs that were remixed from the demo, like we talked about. So this is not Chad Channing drumming here, if you can tell the difference. Oh. This song's okay. Someone should say something. Yeah. I just, I don't have, I don't like it. I mean, I just, and I I can't put my finger on what I don't like. I don't love the drums. The drums on this whole album are are very hit or miss and not, it's not the specific drummer. It's it's really just whatever approach they take on the song. Sometimes I hate and sometimes I kind of like, for sure. Um, I think this song is is like fine, but I don't know. It's I guess we can. I don't think we're spoiling anything for people, but like I'm I'm not gonna listen to this whole album ever again. I don't think. No, <laughs> me neither. Yeah. It. I was surprised at how much I did end up liking some of the songs, based on like my first two listens. I was like, oh god, this is. It. I really hated it. 
I, I got into some of it, but it's very hit or miss, so. Um, I Let's get to about a girl. Soft metal is such a good description. <laughs> yeah. And then this is like hard garage. <laughs> um, See, now they're song, doing a more Nirvana thing where it's like a groove. Yeah. With the this drum song and is bass. Fantastic. Like much more straightforward and kind of like harder rock, but actually with a melody and he like his voice sounds good. I really like his voice on this. He's starting to do the Kurt Cobain thing of like I don't know. He's starting to sound like Kurt Cobain, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, this song was really influenced by R.E.M., by the way. He wanted to write like a more jangly, kind of poppy song. And uh, almost didn't make it on the album because he was concerned it was too poppy. I'm sorry. I made the strangest face when you told me this was inspired by R.E.M. Oh, this sounds like... I, I see the R.E.M.ness here, for sure. I think maybe in the, like... I guess maybe the vocal melody... The vocal melody a little bit, and I think the guitar tone is very R.E.M. Like, the cleaner tone. It sounds like he's playing a lot of open chords. Uh, the okay. kind of thumping bass underneath. Like, I hear the R.E.M.ness. And then this solo is great. Is it? Yeah, I think this is a so good So far, solo. he's played the same melody four times. Well, comparatively, compared to Blue. Oh, yeah, it's way better than Blue. It's still not a good solo. And that's like a very Kurt Cobain thing to do is just kind of like play a riff four times as a solo. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's get to school. My favorite song on the album yeah I like the riff it's yeah. it annoys me a little bit that the drums just copy the riff like I, the drums are just like trying to do the rhythm of the riff the whole time and it's yeah it's not well, great so I but. had no idea what song this was when it just started and when the drums yeah. came in I thought oh this is yeah I don't like this one this is the one you didn't like. I really hate so, the drum. On this, almost the entire album, I really, really <laughs> don't like the drums. They're not great. Uh, so this song I just love, though, because it has the greatest lyrics of any song I've ever heard, which is just repeated the entire time. Would you believe it? It's just my luck. No recess. <laughs> and it's it's so great. And sung, like, so intensely. And supposedly this is about Kirk being frustrated with Sub Pop. Um, I don't know why, like what about Sub Pop was making him feel like he was a kid with no recess, but <laughs> whatever. They're real taskmaster masters making him, you know, giving him an album and signing him to a label. Goddamn. Letting him kind of do whatever the fuck he wanted on that album too. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. We talk I, I keep talking about him being nervous and like not wanting to write poppy songs or wanting to sound really grunge. Everywhere I saw that written, it was very much posed as like Kurt was worried about it not Sub Pop directed them to do this. So I just wonder how much, was it really just all him being anxious? Or was there like, you know, like Sub Pop didn't didn't make them go redo the album. 
I think they resequenced it or something when they turned it in, but it's not like they told them this is too poppy or anything. Like yeah. they were fine. So, ugh, I hated that. What? It's such a sharp cutoff at the end of that solo. Oh, yeah. Like whoever mixed it just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I'm like, I also really hate the bass on this song. Yeah. Yeah, the bass is sometimes good, but it's like the drums. It's very inconsistent for yeah. it being, you know, Chris Christopherson, who's like a long time, or, you know, a full member of the band. I'm impressed yeah. at how much I, or I'm surprised, I should say, at how much I don't love it. Yeah. Uh, we could go ahead and get into their first single, Love Buzz. Which is a cover from who? Shocking Blue. We could look up the original, maybe, because I didn't think of that. But another good bass line, or I should say a good bass line. We were just talking about how they're bad. But. <laughs> and, like, some cool kind of guitar. That's very stuff. cheap tricky, which I know we've been talking oh, about yeah. cheap trick a lot, but that, like, yeah. See, but then it annoys me that like now the guitar and bass are just playing the exact same thing. But I don't which know. can work in a song, I will say, not yeah. like how they're doing it. Because one, like Chris is like at the lower end of his bass, and then yeah. Kirk was like up, uh, up here, like at the sixteenth fret. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, let's hear a little bit of whatever original the original version of Love Buzz sounds like. I'm curious if it's even in the same genre. I feel like it's going to be like a weird 50s doo-wop song or something. Uh, it's like, it from the album cover, it looks like it's it's a band I've never heard of, but it's like 60s uh, Britpop is what it kind of looks like. Mm. But we'll find out. They were a Dutch rock band formed in 1967. I was close. <laughs> I said Brit, but... They were known under the name Niederbeat. <laughs> or their genre was Niederbeat. Uh, so they're doing a real Grace Slick yeah. thing here. <laughs> she does sound exactly like Grace Slick. But without any of the instrumentation that Grace... Slick would use like the instrumentation. I don't know. Is, this kind of sounds like Jefferson Airplane to me, the backing stuff. But see, it's I don't think so. It's I think just it very could, sparsely recorded, I guess. So. And that's what I mean. It's not like this, like I mean, overproduced like Jefferson okay. Airplane thing. But. Yeah. Anyway, well, they made it better, but well, it's a lateral move. Yeah. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So paper cuts. Uh, this is also from the demo. This is the point in the album. We've been kind of down on it, but I would say like I've generally been enjoying everything, and then here I start to drag, because like Love Buzz is good, but just kind of is not great, and then this song really gets into some kind of just it just starts to sound a little bit mushy at this point in this album. It sounds like... Who's the drummer at this point? I forgot his name. Uh, I believe this one's going to be the guy from the Melvins, the specific cut, but the other drummer is Chad Channing. Uh, this song sounds like he's only using one drum at a time. <laughs> yeah. 
Like yeah. he was drinking a beer while he did it, so he only had the one stick. Free. Probably he thought it'd be fun. Yeah. Like this to me is unlistenable. This is not music. Which I know I sound like a fucking dad in 1967 who's listening to a psychedelic album for the first time. Like, what is this noise? But, like, it's one of the few times I've ever had that feeling where I was like, this is not... Okay, I'm not going to say it's not music, but I just hate this so much. Yeah, it it is music. It's I just feel like you and I grew up in a place, Anaheim, California. Um, where there was just a lot of like white dudes who drove like pickups and really loved ultra generic hard rock. Yeah. And both of us very much did not, you know, we got really into the classic rock stuff instead and like, you know, whatever indie music and all that. And like, just, I feel like this, this song specifically is just like, yeah, this is every song I hated from like 2008 that this was like is... on the alternative radio station yeah. in Anaheim, California. Right. This is what I feel like Tool sounds like. I don't know. I've never listened to Tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got to imagine just like this. some, yeah, like, yeah. Anyway, let's get to Negative Creep. See this, yeah, like and promising the start, and then but the then it gets it gets bad for me on this one. It gets bad there. I too. do not like his voice. It's I don't just, like the like screaming, screamoish, hardcore thing he's doing. The, the farther you get into the song, because <laughs> like yeah, it did it's start like the opposite of a Rolling Stones song where they all come in one at a time, and you're yes. like, oh, oh, and then he's adding something, yeah. oh, and then something, oh, and then Mick's doing something weird. You're just like, oh, oh no, 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 yeah. no Chris, stopped. stop, no. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, everybody is all like, oh, Dave Grohl is, or not Dave Grohl, sorry, uh, Kurt Cobain is like the... Uh, the like Nirvana guy, and he's like, everyone always says Kurt Cobain is the Nirvana guy. <laughs> that sounds dumb. I know. No, like, I, I purposely cut you off because it. Yeah. Um, but like, this to me doesn't really sound like Nirvana, and I don't think it sounds like Nirvana until Dave Grohl gets there, probably. Because like, maybe I could hear it being Nirvana-y. What if the drums are not like fucking speed metal drums or whatever? And yeah. Dave Grohl talks a lot about how he's like, I just did, like, disco drums, and I, you know, because right. that's what I grew up listening to. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll get to it. I think there's a combo, because I also think, or at least from what I've been reading, I think there's a perception that he also, like, got more comfortable writing the songs he wanted to write, like, more of a combination of, like, poppy stuff yeah. and, you know, less hardcore and less, quote-unquote, like, real grunge. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm sure Dave Grohl obviously would change their sound a lot too, but like, I don't know if it's a combination of that or separately those kind of happened or what. We'll see mm-hmm. on the next episode, I think, but I'll be curious. Uh, let's go ahead and get to Scoff. What is drumbeat from? <laughs> like every a B-52 song? song? There's yeah. one very... My Sharona, oh my yeah. little pretty it's the one. neck, yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. 
I kind of like this song though. I gotta say, like it's kind of that same generic-y rock sound that we've had the last couple songs, but the, it has a melody. And I do like this melody, and I also just like the lyric that I can understand, which is, in my eyes, I'm not lazy, which is a very funny lyric to me. <laughs> I like it. Although, he says, give me back my alcohol too much. This is, by the way, I did make Shelby listen to this album on a car ride this weekend, and um, this is the song when she said, so Nirvana just repeated stuff a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't know if that's what they're supposed to be known for, but you're right that they do that a lot on this album. It's a lot of like, which as we talked about, he apparently wrote a lot of these lyrics the night before. So he wrote like a verse and a chorus and then repeat it. Um, I think we could go to Swap Mate. I think we could, yeah. Oh, well, nope. These drums are kind of good, though. I gotta say, like, this sounds to me like something Dave Grohl would have done. Like, there's a little bit of the double bass thing happening. It's got, like, more of an interesting drive to it. Like, it sounds like the drums are actually helping move the song forward as opposed to just kind of being there. I would agree that the drums on this song are good. I hate the guitar. I hate yeah. it. I think it's awful. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't think I feel any way about it. I like the riff. Do you mean the tone or the riff? Or both? Both. Oh, okay. Um, how many more songs we got? I was about to just give my whole Only opinion two more. on the album. Okay. I mean, you can start. I do. <laughs> no, I really okay. want to talk about the next song, though. So yeah. We could maybe do it over the last song. I think the last song is, yeah, like longer. So. Yeah. All right. I Mr. think this song's Mustache. solid. Mr. Mustache is actually, I think, think my favorite song after about a girl though just the riff rules the drums are great i love the open hi-hat thing and i think this song works the best as like an actual song at least on the second half of the album here oh, but the plus the name mr happening? mustache is very fun Oh, I don't know. I mean, his voice is incidental at this point. It's just a fun kind of headbangy rock song. I'm not into this at all. <laughs> we got to at least wait till after like the breakdown later on. I'm sorry to say. This was an album that I like started to listen to at work in my office. Yeah. And I just could not get anything done because I was. <laughs> yeah. It's like a. It's not like a. Oh, I'll throw this on and like you know do my Excel. Yeah, that's really true. I feel like. See what's interesting though, and something that does kind of reflect like I feel like our musical bias is that I think there are a lot of people where this would absolutely be music they would like get some work done to. Yeah. And for me, I I could not I couldn't focus on anything with this happening. It's just too yeah. fucking loud. Basically. It's loud there's a, and there's like a lot going on and it's not right, like right. a yeah. smooth oh my listen. God. We sound a million years old. That's yeah. true. It sounds like he actually wrote lyrics for this song, though. I don't think it's the same thing over and over again, is it? I think he did, yeah. Good for it. You know what? Good job, Kurt. 
Man, Kirk's killing it on this one. He's crushing it. This guy. Now I see why the name Kirk Cobain is so famous. Yeah, with lyrics like this, how could you go wrong? Exactly. Uh, the first harmony we've heard. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. One thing I do appreciate about this album is... Oh, you know what? That's another thing I should have said. I also really like punk music. So yeah. it's not like this is yeah. like too hard for me or whatever. But they're doing the punk thing where they don't really care for their own time. Which I yeah. like sometimes really like in a song. And that's like... I don't know. It makes this album a little bit more personable in my eyes. But Yeah, there's a ramshackleness, which I, I actually would generally say... I think that combined with the production value and with the genre of music is part yes. of what makes this really hard to listen to for me. Well, I agree. Because like when it's so heavy and they're like, uh, it just yeah. makes it sound crazy and mushy. And All of those combined, I think wild. you're absolutely yeah. right. But on that one where it's like, yeah. I don't know, recorded kind of more like a punk song right. and not as, you know, it sounded fine. But there are parts of the album where, yeah, you're one million percent correct that that is yeah. the case. So, I don't think there's much to not remember much to say about, about this. Song. I'll, I'll yeah. be honest. I listen to this album a lot, and I, except for like Mr. Mustache, I don't. I barely remember the second half of the album. Like it all just blends together because none yeah. of it is that is that great to me. So, I what are also, your thoughts on this album, Peach? Well, I listened to the second half way less because it would be like I'd be listening to it work, and I'd be like, "Fuck this," uh, and I just couldn't listen. Um, oh boy, I did not care for this album. Um, this is what you make in your garage when you're 16 and you have, like, two buddies who are, like, kind of into music. Yeah. You know? Like, you, none of you really play any instruments. Like, one of you plays guitar. And then you're like, I bet I can figure out bass and drums. And this is the album that comes out of it, particularly in, like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. But, like, still, yeah. even now, garage bands just fucking sound like this. Yeah. Um, actually, now I feel like most garage bands are like shoegaze, whatever the hell that is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I bet there's still a lot of Nirvana-influenced garage bands popping up around the world. Yeah, even, probably. Even now. But this was... Uh, I'm going to make a blanket statement and generalize a lot here. This was the album we've talked about on any of the podcasts we've done together that I had the hardest time listening to. Very. That is a. That's. It's bold. That's interesting. That is bold. I don't think I personally agree, but I cannot. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Like and like you said, it's just generic hard rock at this point. It's not really grunge. I don't know how this is like. It's like, like I, some of it's grunge. Some of it though, yeah, is I don't know. I mean, I don't. I'm not a huge grunge guy, so I don't. I've never listened to a Mud Honey album, so who knows? But. Like, this song, Sifting, to me, sounds like, oh, yeah, that's a grunge song. But then stuff like Paper Cuts just, yeah, does not sound. Yeah, it, it sounds like, like I said earlier, what I imagine Tool sounds like. I've never listened to Tool. I know they're yeah. a band I'm not going to enjoy. And, hell, you know, maybe I'd love Tool, but I really don't think I would. And I think 
I don't know. I just hate that, like, hard rock for the sake of being hard rock kind of a sound. Yeah. Like, later on, Nirvana, I will say they, you know, they get more melodies. They get a little softer and sound more grungy instead of just generic yeah. hard rock. And I appreciate that more. But I'll put it like this. I reached out to a uh, friend of the show, and asked, <laughs> knowing he was a Nirvana fan, and I asked him if he wanted to be on our Bleach episode, and he was like, oh, man, I really don't like the album Bleach. <laughs> and that just makes yeah. sense to me. I get why you would be a Nirvana fan, but hate yeah. this album, you know? Right. Yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty different, like and like I was saying, where his voice is really weird and different, and there's only like maybe two or three songs where you're, I think, oh, this is what, oh yeah, this is what Kurt Cobain sounds like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the voice of one Kurt Cobain. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so in that way, and then like very little of it sounds like what I think Nirvana which is fine I mean it's I haven't like I said I haven't listened to a ton of Nirvana so I'm yeah. willing to like hear new sounds from them and like some of this like I said I do like but just generally it's not I mean it's kind of like a few bands we've talked about actually in the 27 club where I'm like yeah there is good stuff there that I didn't know about before but it's not making me like it's not turning me around as a fan mm-hmm. in general um so, yeah, what do you want to what do you want to rate Bleach, PJ? I think I think I'm locked in at a number. I think I'm locked in at a number as well. I think well. we I think we might be at the same. 1. Oh, okay, I was going to go 2. <laughs> Cuz I, I I did I did legitimately like a couple of songs on this album. So, I was going to go 2 out of 10, but I'm like as I, an album, oh boy, do I never want to listen to this. Oh, thing. no, never. Yeah, yeah, never, yeah. never, never, never. But I feel like some other albums I've given a one to would be like mm, Lil Deuce Coop. Yeah. And I would rather listen to Lil Deuce Coop than this. Yeah. And maybe it is a lack of me not understanding the music or whatever, but, you know, I don't. And I don't know about that. We have not given a one to any albums so far in the 27 Club. Yeah, that makes sense. We probably gave a few out during Stone Studs and Beach Boys. Boys. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure we did. Yeah, that was going to be my one. Like, I would rather, like, I did enjoy listening to this album more than I did at least, like, maybe L.A. or, you know, some of those really bad Beach Boys albums. Because there were a couple Beach Boys albums that, yeah, were just really awful. Yeah, you know. Off the top of my head, I don't, I can't think of a Stones album that I, like, legitimately, well... This is probably about similar to Black and Blue in terms of my enjoyment, where there's like a couple songs I kind of like, and then it's just really bad otherwise. So I would say See, similar to that. But kind then of stuff. with Black and Blue, in the Rolling Stones' defense, it's yeah. uh, at least hilariously bad, like in ways where it's like, oh my God, it is the 80s, and this is terrible. Whereas this yeah, is yeah. just like, oh, I just don't. This is bad music, you know. Um, right. And I I understand that is a very harsh critique. Maybe of Nirvana's first album. It blows my mind that that British guy from NME gave it an eight out of ten. 
Yeah, what was the musical landscape, you know, that this was so mind-blowing? I mean, I guess maybe, uh, like, I honestly, I guess, don't know a lot about what else was out except for, like, a lot of hair metal stuff yeah. where it's like, so maybe if that's the kind I guess, of rock you I mean, were listening to and you wanted more, quote-unquote, like, real rock, punk this rock. would sound pretty good and refreshing. There was yeah, a lot of punk true. rock coming out of the punk. time that was, like, really good. Um, See, but then there was also a bunch of indie stuff, like, R.E.M. or, like, I guess this is a little bit after Talking Heads. But, like, there was some more indie stuff that was, like, really good rock music, but more maybe too arty for certain people. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. But I do think, I wonder when you say that, though, about, like, you know, the Rolling Stones' bad albums being a little more enjoyable because, like, there's some context for it. Like, for us with Nirvana, there's no context for this album. Like, I've heard some singles, and then this is my first Nirvana album, so it's, like, right sucks but like if this was their third album and it was like a weird dip and they tried to go hard rock or something it would probably be more fun to listen to for us because we would have some context and some probably knowledge of the band and like where they're coming from whereas here it's just like this is a weird start (laughs) i mean yeah and that that might be true but i just don't even think like i think i would have that opinion if i was a nirvana fan that oh bleach no that's barely yeah. a nirvana album but there was like some really good punk music coming out at the time yeah. that is maybe not necessarily recorded better probably on par you know um yeah. recording wise but the music is just so much better, better on those albums and like yeah. the lyrics are also so much better you know i wonder here's what i wonder I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull this up right now. I wonder if there is a single album in my iTunes from the year 1989. I bet there's not. Oh. And I'm just, that's more just about like my musical taste. Just not, I have, I have like very little 80s stuff in general. Like 80s and 90s are kind of some blind spots for me. So. Oh, I have one. Um, Full Moon Fever, Tom Petty. I've got that. Okay, nice. Oh. Yeah, see, Tom Petty, if you want real rock music. Yeah. Oh, I also have Freedom by Neil Young and Oh Mercy by Bob Dylan. This must be No Year. Okay, yeah. So I have one song from Steel Wheels by the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah, Steel Wheels. I wonder if I ended up downloading any of that onto my iTunes. But I might not have. Those are, those are, I have, uh, yeah, I've got three full oh, albums. I have... It. At least two, maybe three. No, I have two. Okay, because Rattle and Home was 88. I have two. I have the album Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. It came out in 1989. I would not have known that. And I have Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 4, (laughs) recorded by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Uh It was recorded in 1989. An important album. So, yeah. That's um, it. that's what I got from 1989, baby. But other albums that I have heard that came out in 1989, I googled it. That just not are, are not in nice. my iTunes. Paul's Boutique, Beastie Boys. Okay, sure. That's a good album from '89. Uh, Doolittle by the Pixies. Oh, okay. Also 1989. Yeah, there you um, go. The Pixies. That's a good example of a yeah. like very good band out of the time. Yeah, kind of doing their own thing, you know. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that has been Bleach. Write us at beachboysboys at gmail.com with all of your angry comments. Uh, yeah. Because I assume there have to be a good portion of our fan base that is just 
Maybe to not though. Pounding like, on the wall. There was that one guy who wrote in yeah. and he was like, yeah, uh, who likes all of the same music we do, seemingly, and but then was like, yeah. yeah, I'd never got Nirvana. And I'm like, me neither, bud. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, maybe, but also I feel like all of the music fans, aside from you, most of the music people I know who have at least somewhat similar taste than me also just really enjoy Nirvana. Like they're just because like we talked about at the beginning, they're kind of one of those that a lot of people get into in high school and they're like, for I think for a lot of people they are kind of the one like harder band they get into a little bit, um, so I don't know. Like our friend Jake loves Nirvana, is obsessed with Nirvana, but doesn't listen to like any other hard, like heavy music. I, don't I think. mean, he likes Weezer. That's heavy. I might. <laughs> True. Yeah, have you heard that Pinkerton? It's crazy. Oh my God. So much feedback. I had to plug um, my child's ears. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's uh that's been Bleach, man. A two and a one. We're off to a hot start here. I'm excited I'm... though to listen to Nevermind. I'm especially excited to see that little that little baby's penis. Oh, you love that shit, man. Um, so... I heard that Kurt Cobain's penis is actually they uh, they imposed it over the image, and so yeah. Well, they have to now because he's suing them for child porn for willingly distributing child pornography. You know, but the rule is for pornography, and I know this because I had Showtime for a long time, and I thought it'd be funny sure. just to pop a pornography on, um, and they only have softcore porn. You never see an erect penis in it. That's true. That's very true. And on that note, I'll see you on the other side of that Nirvana. <laughs> I didn't have anything. I'll see you, and I'll see you at the crossroads. Yeah. A Beach Boys Boys production.